when I was re-listening to it this week, I put a note that around the three minute, 20 second point, I was like, this is actually, this is the right time to end the song. Cause it, there's like a very natural sort of wind down. And then it starts again. As I was writing that though, I was like, no, actually two seconds in would have been the perfect time. To end this song. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to another week of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics go through albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give our in-depth critiques, hopefully we have a lot of fun, give you a little bit of a reason to like, love, hate, despise the album that uh, that we're going through. This week, we will be listening to... An album by the artist Kid Rock, Devil Without a Cause. If you're as excited as I is am, is artist this, really the right word here? Uh, you know, I, mean, I, <laughs> I think that we're we're gonna you, the audience won't be able to see it, but we're gonna have lots of air quotes around stuff that we say, like song and artist and rap line. But yeah, if you're as excited as we are about this album, uh, we encourage you to. You know, give us a review. Give us five stars. That'd be great. Write a little review. Say how much you like us, how much you hate us. Uh, You know, you can subscribe. The most important thing for us is if you could share this with a friend. We want to get the message out that there are some great works of art out there. Well, you know, let's let's show our hands yet. (laughs) Basically, that we have some complaints. That's now the mission statement for this podcast. (laughs) But can it be? Can it be terrible, but also a must hear? I think that's one of the things we got to reckon with here because we did recently do a podcast where we talked about hate listening and how important it was to know what you don't like and to really experience the terribleness of some of these tracks. So I'm I'm actually I'm I'm wrestling with it a little bit myself. I had not considered that and I'll keep that in mind while we talk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I think I hear some vote shifting. <laughs> well, it's like asking if you've never eaten a turd. Like, you know it's going to be bad, but, like, what's life without having eaten a turd? <laughs> yes, Alan, that's, that was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump in and give you guys a little background on the artist, a little bit of an in-depth breakdown of specific tracks, but before we do that, we're going to give you a little bit of a flavor of what we've been suffering through all week. We're going to start with the tra- <laughs> with the track that was a massive hit, the opening song off of 1998's Devil Without a Cause, Ba with the Ba. Yeah. 
And we are back. Before we get into our deep dive on the artist, deep dive on the tracks, I'm going to throw this around the horn. We're going to get a couple of tweet-length impressions of the album. And uh, this is going first to Alan. Alan, describe your week to me in a tweet-length review. Let me just say that I was always under the impression that Larry the Cable Guy had perfected the fake redneck grift. But it turns out he was just an underachiever. (laughs) I think Larry the Cable Guy chronologically comes after Kid Rock. I bet you he was in some bar in Florida and heard this because this is definitely the music that's played in a bar in Florida and was like, wait a second, I think I can make a career out of this. Well, he's still got some work to do if he wants to, you know, take the number one spot. Well, on that topic, I I found myself when I was writing comments for this, a lot of them fit easily into the Jeff Foxworthy you might be a redneck if framework and I so does that make him a brilliant comedian who's ahead of his time or or what is that where does that put him I always found Jeff Foxworthy a little charming he he had some funny jokes hey if you can get people to to consume your art in some way you're you're doing something right I'll just put that out there right now whether it's good or not I don't know man like this record has like a billion listens and uh, yeah, Phil, let's get your tweet-length review of this album. Uh, my tweet-length review would be something like, uh, don't listen to Kid Rock's Devil Without a Cause. Don't listen to Kid Rock's Grit Sandwiches for breakfast. Uh, I'm actually currently having questions about finishing the podcast and giving Kid Rock any more of my time. <laughs> in any well, we have been trying to keep these a, a lot shorter, so this might be the... Let's call it now. Oh, Rob, let's hear your tweet and life review of this album. I wrote a short one and a long one. The short one is, if a soul patch came to life and made an album... <laughs> and... Uh, and the longer one is, this is watered down, lowest common denominator drivel for angsty rural teenagers and beer-soaked 37-year-old absentee fathers who spend their weekends lighting fireworks near whatever body of water happens to be the closest to where they were born. Wow. All yeah, right. I'm not going to lie. You had me at beer-swilling absentee fathers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound bad, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Oh, it's B-37 again. <laughs> well, Rob, uh, I also have written uh, two tweet-length reviews for it. I got, a, I got a, a short one and a long one. I'll give you the short one first. Let me, ah, let me get myself warmed up for this. This is my short one. This album sucks! <laughs> Cock! <laughs> <laughs> And uh, my slightly longer one is this album is ba with a ba da bang da bang shitty shitty. <laughs> Wait, do, you have to, do you have to pay Sugar Hill Gang for that little? Uh... Yeah, right. Well, I, I think we're going to come to the conclusion uh, while we go through some of the deep dives in this track that most of Kid Rock's artistry is I'm just going to take a better song that was already written and just put my shit lyrics over it and see if a bunch of idiots will buy it and make me millions of dollars. I want to clarify right off the bat that it's certainly fashionable to not like Kid Rock, but we're not just shitting. I have a lot of clear ideas of why this is terrible. So, and I think everyone here on the call does. So I'm excited to get into the details <laughs> and not, and look, look beneath the superficial terribleness. Yes. Yes. Let's just dive right in to Robert James Ritchie. Born January 17th, 1971, 
in Romeo, Michigan, which you will notice is about 40 miles outside of Detroit. He reps Detroit as like, I'm Detroit born and raised. Yeah, that'd be like growing up in Thousand Oaks, California and being like, I'm straight out of Compton, motherfucker. It's like, no, you're not. You're like a good, you know, a, a decent hour drive outside of Detroit. So presumably Romeo is a, a trailer park, low-income area that's been hit hard by numerous economic recessions? Uh, Romeo in and of itself has about like a, somewhere in like a $57,000 uh, average household income uh, demographic going on, which is not great. But it's great for Michigan because Michigan's a little economically depressed. But regardless of how well Romeo, Michigan in general was doing— uh, Robert James Ritchie was the son of a man who owned a very successful car dealership, Ritchie Ford. He grew up in a 5,000-square-foot house on six acres with multiple horses. So, you know, some of the super He's a cowboy, redneck. dude. He's a He's cowboy. A cowboy. Oh, course, dude, this is all coming together now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I like maybe Ba with a Ba was the name of his favorite horse growing up or something. I don't know. But yeah, the disingenuousness just from moment one just seeps through. Now, I will say this for Kid Rock. He has at various points in his lyrics said stuff to the effect of like, I didn't want to sell cars because my dad was a dick. Acknowledging the fact that he had a path to success that was not music related but that is also in and of itself a disingenuous statement because that would be like my wife sells clinical software that would be like saying that like oh my wife sells clinical software when she owns a clinical software company that is a very different thing than saying like oh my dad sold cars like selling cars is a solid middle class job my dad owns a car dealership right your dad's not getting screamed at by that. Alec Baldwin and fucking Glenn Gary Glenn Ross yes. Yes. exactly yes. <laughs> uh, it's not it's not a Gil from the Simpsons type situation <laughs> absolutely not it's the guy who's always going to fire old Gil <laughs> um, so very early on in his life though he did want to become a rapper and he actually was signed to Jive Records at the tender age of 17. It will be noted that he was signed in 1988, which was before Vanilla Ice had his release of To the Extreme in 1990. So he was kind of on the cutting edge of that white boy hip-hop scene Ooh. and actually had a little bit of success with his uh, Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast album. Became somewhat of a local celebrity sold 100,000 copies of it. Very successful for a Detroit-born rapper. And this actually, he parlayed this into touring with Ice Cube, Too Short, and D-Nice, amongst others, across the country in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So, Tom, I had the unfortunate happening of uh, thinking that we were listening to Grit Sandwiches for breakfast this week. I listened, attempted to listen to Grit Sandwiches for breakfast uh, three times this week and started it at various points. Probably got through it about two times in total. Uh, it is terrible, right? Like, imagine if there was a fourth Beastie Boy who got, like, kicked out, like, straight out of the first audition. And then he made records, like, by himself and was, like, always showing the Beastie Boys. And they were like, get lost, man. Uh 
that's basically what this record is like. I mean, I think that you're giving him a lot of credit by saying the Beastie Boys. I, Alan, you sent around that picture of him from back in the day with the big kid and play hair going on. And I thought of it as like that sort of like kid and play like, oh, hello, I hope you like my rap song type of rapping. It's terrible. It's just Oh, yeah, bullshit. it's it's like it's like for a 16 year old and by a 16 year old. But even I'm glad you mentioned the Beastie Boys because and with the timeline that Tom just gave, that does give it some helpful context that from what I know about hip hop history, I'm not an expert, is that that was, you know, License Deal came out in 1986. The Beastie Boys were, if not the first and one of the very first of that kind of white boy hip hop genre and they were having success and probably record companies were seeking out other options like that maybe that's where his original record deal came from and when i was listening to this i did think occasionally in my mind of that first beastie boys record license to ill which is excellent by the way in comparison to this but this felt like it's at least 10 years on from that maybe more like 12 years on i can't remember when this one came out exactly and there's something about the Beastie Boys. I mean, th- there are many reasons the Beastie this Boys are better. This came out in like '98, by the way, dude. This came yeah, Okay, so like 12 years later, his the rapping style hasn't advanced, but there's something about it. That w- what really rankled me, and maybe it's the context of Kid Rock's whole celebrity persona up until today, is a factor here. That you can just sort of tell the Beastie Boys didn't really mean it. They thought it was funny. It was fun <laughs> in games. It was they were 16 and they were being 16 year olds and then they kind of grew out of that kid rock is like a full-grown man and he he thinks this is good (laughs) yeah you know there's also we don't know that he thinks it's good we know that he thinks it can be successful which it definitely was i think we're gonna we'll we'll dive in a little bit to what he was kind of going for in this album but i want to bring it back to the beastie boys comment for a second there is a playfulness a non-seriousness and almost like a vulnerability, like a, you know, uh, self-deprecation to the Beastie Boys that is not existent on this album (laughs) at all in any way, shape or form. This is all like, I am the biggest swinging dick in the trailer park and I get all the ladies. I do all the drugs. I have all the money and it just gets exhausting. It really does. It's such a just festival of bravado that is hollow at its core (laughs) well you know he was dropped by jive records after grit sandwiches for breakfast essentially because of unfavorable comparisons to vanilla ice which if you as a rapper are being unfavorably compared to vanilla ice that is not a great sign for your ability (laughs) meanwhile snow is shedding a single tear (laughs) somewhere in canada Uh, yeah, he's out there just licking boom, licky boom, boom down. <laughs> the, the thing that I think should be noted from that first record, you know, that first uh, jive record, you know, who later dropped him, is there is track eight, Pimp of the Nation, which, you know, becomes a, uh, I mean, I guess to some degree, you see, you see that this sort of, this, this pimp persona, I guess, was always there, right? He's, it's already manifested in song. 18, 19 years early. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because <laughs> after he put out Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast, he had two more albums, a couple of EPs. He put out the Polyfuse Method and Early Morning Stone Pimped, Stone Pimp as two of his albums. And this is apparently where he really refined and settled on what is, and this is a direct quote, the 
trailer park pimp daddy persona that he was going for. That is his stated goal, is to be the trailer park pimp daddy. And it is important to mention that this is a put-on. This is a persona. This is not who he really is. He wanted to be a trailer park pimp daddy. Just for fun, I think we should play Pimp of the Nation off the first the first record. Yeah, how much do we want to subject our Great listeners sandwiches. to here? Well that, well, that way you could really see the progression. Yeah, the see, this is going to be important. Yeah, let's exactly. just let's yeah, just yeah, give yeah. this. Let's just give it a little. There's only two types of men: pimps and johns. There's one type of bitch, and that's a hoe. So all the production values that one could achieve with basically a fucking iPhone these days, um, it's, yeah, pretty terrible. And I, the absolute lack of a compelling flow, rhythmically, lyrically, cadence-wise, is is there and persistent throughout. As you said, Rob, this is like arrested development. It's like he got successful at 17 and then was like, I don't have to get any better. I just have to figure out how I can shoehorn this into whatever the sound of the day is. So this album came out in 1998. It came out on August 18th of 1998. Another interesting little tidbit here. Um, what also came out in 1998, just a little bit after, is uh, Vanilla Ice did a new metal album as well that came out in 1998. I think it came out in like November 1998. Just as listeners, do yourself a favor. Go listen to the Vanilla Ice. Do you think that's on the Robert Dimery list? Do you think we'll maybe get to do that one of these days? I mean, I honestly... This this sets the bar pretty low, guys. Can can we define new metal briefly? (laughs) Yes. So, new metal was a genre that is credited with being sparked by the bands Korn and the Deftones. And the hallmarks of new metal, they're actually... There's one bad hallmark and one, I think, good hallmark of new metal. The good hallmark got instantaneously perverted and, uh, you know, stripped out of the, the genre very shortly thereafter. But basically they took complex, time-changing, very uh, intricate riff-focused metal and they stripped it out and they made it very simple, very easy to play, much more repetitive. That, as far as the new metal sound, that is the definition of the new metal sound. You go from bands that were doing thrashed kind of fast riffs and time signature changes and really complex drums to, you know, what's that corn song, Blind? Which was one of the yeah. the first big new metal songs. And it's just like... It's easy, like a a child could play it on an instrument. That was one of the sound hallmarks of new metal. The lyrical content hallmark of new metal at the beginning that was absent from previous metal, a lot of previous metal had been about bravado or, let's say, not satanically inspired stuff, but just more dark subject matter, 
was actually, if you listen to that first Corn album, there's a lot of vulnerability on it and a lot of talking about real world experiences and dealing with trauma and kind of the experience that one would have growing up as a metalhead and getting picked on in high school was sort of repeated throughout a lot of these songs. Like, listeners, this is going to come up once or twice on this podcast, and I feel like the only way to to approach it is to just say it. Like, there's a corn song on that first album called Faggot. It's spelled F-A-G-E-T, but it's literally about the lead singer being bullied in high school for being gay and and like being like people calling him a queer, calling him a faggot and stuff like that. And it's a very raw, very emotional song. There's a song about sexual abuse on that song, which literally ends with a guy like sobbing on the microphone. It's all very emotional. And the fact that from 1994, when that first corn album came out, to 1998, new metal becoming dominated by the kind of guys that would kick kids' asses in high school and call them faggots and shove them into lockers. Like, how the hell did that transition happen so fast? I think one of the things was that apparently after Corn became a sort of hit on the local scene, apparently it was one of those events where just everybody was throwing money at the next new metal band. So all of these bands that did not have that sound just started to make music like that because like that's how you get a record contract that's how you get on the Ozfest tour that's how you make a ton of money and yeah, it was a, it was a pretty quick perversion of it um in kind of a disgusting way not that i was a fan i'm not a corn fan by any stretch of the imagination but doesn't sound like you know anything about corn at all listen i would listen to every <laughs> single corn song i happen to do a lot of research for this podcast all right i read a lot of articles um I dare you come prepared so. <laughs> I, I would listen to the entire You were ready for the, uh, the corn sidebar, man. That's, yeah, that's good work by right. you. Well, I'm just trying to, trying to give some context on, on new metal and what the genesis was behind some of the songs on this album. Because I think that one of the things we're going to notice this album is that it's a, this album is a scattershot of a bunch of different... He's throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's going to stick on this. And... It's very much, we talked about that with almost like the Alanis Morissette album where it was, I'm going to do the super grungy woman song. I'm going to do the song for the soccer moms in the minivan. I'm going to do the ballad song and we're just going to see what happens and maybe this is going to get me something. And then it just so happens that this album sold so many fucking copies. It is utterly disgusting. It sold 14 million copies certified by the RIAA. This is the 66th best-selling album of all time. This album cracks the top 100 selling albums of all time. If this does not make you lose hope for humanity... Do you have the list right in front of you? Like, just out of curiosity, can we see, like... If I, you ha- I want to throw up. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What have we done? What, what have we done, America? In all honesty, yes. This we're, is one of those, sorry. like, how, how are you, <laughs> how are we just, like, dumping this on the world? This is, this is, ah. It's not well, we're not just dumping it on the world either. They, like, they want it. <laughs> the world yeah. wants it somehow. So I'm just going to, I'm going to throw out some albums that are, in the same ballpark as this album, which is like, uh, you know, uh, Houses of the Holy is below this album, Bullshit. just below this sure. album. Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death, also below this album. 
uh sergeant peppers also below this album well that that makes sense uh, would you say that this is the sergeant peppers of new metal song <laughs> Uh, no, I guess I'd have to give that to chocolate starfish in the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and for anyone out there that thinks I'm making that up, that is a legitimate album by Limp Biscuit that is also on Robert Dimery's fucking list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Listen, I, people, listeners maybe have had enough of us impugning the list, but is, have we discussed, I mean, is the list, do we have any clue if the list is about good material is it about understanding the artistry of recorded music or is it about understanding the ridiculous absurdity of the recording industry it, i think it could be the latter because a lot of the albums on here have i wouldn't say cultural significance but like of the new metal genre or whatever the hell you want to call this bastardization of you know hip-hop rock fusion to have sold 14 million copies you know, I think it's maybe a, a commentary that this is different and it sort of owns its category, whether you like the category or not. Like, I, I kind of wonder if that's what he's well, getting at. I disagree that it's not different, though. It's I, I agree that it sold a lot and that means something. But I refuse to admit it's because it's different or unique in any way, shape. No, or no, form. no. I think, in fact, it's been distilled down into a digestible slurry for idiots. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying the music is different. I'm saying that. It probably occupies a spot in the list of most albums sold that are not occupied by other How does this you know, people who did this kind of music. Like, I, unless Limp Biscuit is in that general tier, or you know, it's definitely not that saying that this is some sort of like unique music. So one thing that uh, Phil, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on your how does this happen comment i think that this is a product of the 90s in a very particular way this might have been and maybe this is uh i'm not going to blame this on this album but i think that like 1997 to 2001 might have been the peak of america and we have just been on a decline since then i think this was the Russia is no longer in existence as a global threat or the un, uh, you know, undisputed dominant force in the world. China's ascendancy has not happened yet. This is America getting fat, lazy, and fucking dumb. And uh, this was a an album for that exact moment. And somehow angry at the same time, which is <laughs> yes, and somehow angry. Ah, uh, yeah. Here, here are my notes on the first track. Uh, ball with a ball. I have a note here that the song and possibly the record peaks around 35 seconds, right? There's this like build up with the That's synthesizer. That's still in the like intro soundscape. Yeah, instead. yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the song <laughs> drops at a minute 15. So yeah, I think the I think the song actually peaks at 35 seconds. Well, let's 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 actually get into the deep dive on Bow with a Bow. We're gonna we're gonna play you a little bit more of Bow with the Bow. I can't believe I have to that. say this so many goddamn times, but we're gonna we're gonna get right into to a deep dive on Bow with a Bow. So so without any further ado, here is even more of this song as if you needed Try to love someone! 
So the chorus of this song, and Rob, this gets to the point that you constantly make about the ridiculousness of like music genre tags. This has been described as a neo-Gregorian chant. (laughs) 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 Which, I mean, come on. Wait, who who, who offered this description? I listen, I don't know. I've seen what, it. What's what scholar <laughs> exactly? Cite yes. Cite your sources. Yeah, uh, so listen, f- full, full disclosure. Just we were talking about the very beginning of the album. When we first when we picked this, I had a sense of dread. But then, as I went to play it on my headphones, what I really felt was scared that it was going to rock. <laughs> now, luckily, that did not happen. <laughs> oh, no, this does not rock. It does not rock. <laughs> so what the lame. hell? But I had this moment of feeling like, wow, maybe it's actually good. Like maybe it's maybe it has terrible content and I really dislike the person behind it and all this stuff. But maybe it rocks. Maybe what if I maybe this is my own hang ups that is preventing me from liking this masterpiece. Not the case. That kick in. As, as Phil mentioned, peak, like the kicking falls totally flat, say, compared to Rage Against the Machine from six years earlier. Like, it does nothing that those songs do. Well, and speaking of Rage Against the Machine, I actually had a note that he tries to do that, like, Zach De La Roca scream at one point. Well, probably many points, but in this song in particular, and it's so, it's just so weak. And, you know, it's supposed to feel like it's got this release in this angry primal scream and it just yeah it falls super flat it was it was so much more badass in my memory than it was in when i just listened to it, it lacks bottom it's really distorted but it doesn't have a lot of bottom yeah. to it and i i think a big part of that is that you can tell that this is just a super digital recording it has none of the warmth and the depth that you get from a well-constructed two-inch tape recording. It feels obscenely 90s and obscenely digital. This is the only time I'm going to say this, but I'd be really, if, it, if an actual Kid Rock fan happens to still be listening, I'd actually love to hear from them because what I want you to do is objectively play this song and then play Killing in the Name of and wait for the, drop, the respective drop-ins of the songs and tell me if you can't understand the difference in quality. I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, and from every angle, from the writing angle, subject matter, the recording, the production, the mixing, the performance in general, I mean, this is like, it's such a terribly dumb and easy riff. And this is the thing that that irks me so much about this whole crossover rock, hip-hop, thing and not to say that that hasn't been done well at points obviously like rage is a good example but at some point in the song there's like this really weak like scratch i don't know if it's during the chorus but there's just like dj scratching and then it drops out and does this really lame like frankenstein ripoff riff it's just the things that it's even trying to do it's making decisions that's like hey let's have this part that makes it different and those parts are just so weak in comparison to what they could be i just want to throw this out there for you guys uh take a guess at where this song was mixed abby road abby fucking road <laughs> oh i know it from his answering machine message Dude, later i was like, like <laughs> yeah yes it's pretty does. ridiculous yeah you said something a second ago tom i actually started looking at the stuff that was being worked on sort of like adjacent to this uh, the big one is kid a uh, would have been you know being worked on at Abbey Road around the time this is being mixed there. What? What? How was that the, decision the made? The bands going between those <laughs> sessions. <laughs> the fuck. 
That's a little too close to a Radiohead pun. Okay. <laughs> what I wanted to say was, but to Alan's point about what is wrong with this song, you're right, it has no bottom and no taste is applied. But one of the things I noticed, and this is how dedicated I am, listeners, I sat with my guitar and I played through the song and I was able to get like every single two and inch half minutes, of it. Two and a half seconds. Yeah. Every, every two, two and a half seconds. But I needed to listen to all of it to make sure that it is exactly one melodic note and one fucking chord. Yeah, the entire F sharp minor. Even when the guitar, yeah, and even when the guitar does a <laughs> yes, but but instead of in in with the aforementioned Tom Morello F sharp minor thing, one of the whole big premises of using that key is that you can drop down to the E to get more riffage. Doesn't do that throughout the entire time or the entire chorus melody. Just think about that for a second. The entire chorus melody is one single note. And even when they do riffs on the guitar, they stray. I think there's. I think there might only be two actual guitar notes in this. Oh, so it's the, the octave probably. Dun, 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 dun. That's a minor third. That's okay. The only okay. other note I'm referring to. There's, there's, the funny thing is, Rob, if you were to ask me to sit down and, and play ba with a ba, I absolutely would have been like, "Well, it's got to be F sharp. I, it's got to start on F sharp." You know, if I'm thinking of the easiest, but but I'd be waiting for that, but you know, that like pull up, <laughs> but that's never gonna come. It's never gonna come. Drop down to the seven. Yeah. Rob, it, it's like it happens. I think in the second chorus, uh, if depending on how you want to count them, and uh, and again after the breakdown, there's uh, there's there is some kind of other note. It's like hard panned right. There's like something. I even made note of it because I was like, that sounds like something. As <laughs> <laughs> opposed to the rest of it, which sounds like nothing. So. We're a couple of a couple of times during this podcast. I'm going to sprinkle in a couple of facts, and I've I've categorized them into two different camps. There is the Kid Rock go fuck yourself fact, and there's the Kid Rock you're actually kind of all right fact. And we're going to start off with a much off the much shorter list of Kid Rock you're actually kind of all right facts. In that he has a black female drummer as his drummer, which in a industry especially the metal genre that is dominated by white men good on you that's actually kind of all right good for you i'm glad that you have given this woman a very you know i'm sure super successful career her name is stephanie Uhlenberg. uh she was part of the twist twisted brown trucker band which was his backup band so you know good on him for that that's a that's a we're gonna throw that into the category of kid rock you're actually kind of all right, facts. Just to counterbalance that, I'm going to throw in a Kid Rock Go Fuck Yourself fact really quickly. He is responsible for inflicting the artist Uncle Cracker upon the world. Yep. <laughs> if you remember Uncle Cracker from the, the, the back in the day, follow me. And da, 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 I won't, yeah, that guy. There's one of the songs where he references a a someone named cracker and yeah, i was Uncle actually cracker. wondering if that's who it was oh man that makes it so much he was, worse he was his dj doing all that super complex scratching that is that's required on these, on these terrible tracks. there is uh, i mean this this song is just a bunch of disconnected uh, rob i remember you saying that the rage against the machine album was a an exercise in anthemic sounding lines shouted over hard rock the, this is an exercise in like approaching anthemic lines shouted over hard rock, but it's just super terrible, and they're they're so shitty, and the music is so shitty. I I don't understand how this launched his goddamn successful career. Well, have we talked about yet the 
obviously, and if we did talk about this, I'm losing my memory, but just the blatant theft of the Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, yeah. Well, we, didn't, we didn't dive into that yet. His approach to songwriting, let's call yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any grandiose like thesis of that other than, I mean, that's the whole basis of your song is this little fucking shimmy thing that you do, and it's three quarters of it are just stolen from an 80s yep. rap song. Yep. The hip to the hip and a hip hip a hopper you don't stop rockin' to the fame Make the boogie say up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat Let's get a little bit we rock Well that actually leads me into Kid Rocco Fuck Yourself Fact Number Two. Um, are you guys aware though? Have you listened to the song American Badass by Kid Rock? Thankfully, I've not I hope not. Well, you actually have, because it's literally Metallica's sad but true with him doing shitty rap over it. And I'm not talking about, like, it's a little snippet sample of Sad But True. It's just Sad But True, minus the chorus, with Kid Rock doing shit rap over it, talking about he how he's the American badass. Man, I wish I hadn't listened to that. <laughs> it's really terrible. It's really, really, really bad. I've heard that before. Uh, that really sucks. It really sucks. It's, it's, it's remarkably bad. But, again, I, I think that... The thing that I found the most galling about this album is that it was really, again, that exercise in, like, I just want to have a hit. And whatever that hit comes from, I am going to go down that road. And here's the thing that I find to be interesting. He did not even have confidence in the new metal sound or in the country rock sound, which we're going to get to soon. Because Ba with the Ba was the fourth single released off of this album. One would think that this would that would, this was like his big breakout hit. You'd think that would have been the first song released. No, this was the fourth single released off of that album. That's a good point. It's a real genre pastiche on, on this one. But we keep saying it's and it's funny because it's throughout the lyrics of the entire album that he keeps talking about how he needs a hit. He needs just one song. Yeah. The record company keeps telling him to punch up the hook. And I thought that that is kind of a window into what's actually going on and his insane opportunism yes and he's he's an opportunistic piece of shit and we as americans have made him rich and famous so we should take a hard look in the mirror for that i i'll just say like it's i guess there's some people out there i think it's a rational perspective to feel like people who are opportunists aren't inherently bad for that reason but i i personally disagree that really that trait bothers me a lot so I would say I'm just, I'm just in my- an artistic <laughs> endeavor that bothers me so much more when you have no artistic core and no principles when it comes to your artistry. I'll relate this to the band Sugar Ray, who were like kind of like a hardcore band. And then they had, which was the secret track on their album RPM, that song Fly. I just want to fly. Sounded absolutely nothing like any, anything they'd ever done. Became a massive hit. And everything after that was every morning there's a halo hanging. It's all that same super lame Southern California ooh girl music. And they were just like, oh, that's that is a hit. Okay, great. We're just gonna do that. As compared to a band like Radiohead, who had Creep as a massive hit. That was and Creep is like kind of a hard rocking. It's got that dead strings that sounds like a airplane starting up. <laughs> And what did they put out after that? They put out the Benz. High and dry. Yeah, Yeah. high and dry. Fake plastic trees. Like, they were like, we want to make good music. To be clear, though, 
I don't think the threshold needs to be set as high as Radiohead. I mean, they're a great example of true artists. But at least you're talking about at least Sugar Ray did it over the context of a career. We're saying Kid Rock is doing it within the context of one single album. He can't even pick what the hell he wants to do because he's just looking for raw success, however it's going to Well, come. and that's what I have a hard time squaring because I, I did a like modicum of research on, on Kid Rock just to sort of understand like where he's coming from. And interestingly enough, I did I came across, and I don't know if you came across this too, Tom, it was some kind of like oral history of Kid Rock's like Detroit sort of even even if he wasn't like from the city itself but he was kind of connected to that scene and a lot of like the producers in that area and and other artists as he was coming up they really did talk about him favorably as a really hard worker and so that that is one aspect that i i do think is worth you know giving him some credit for even though his decision making you know is is sort of questionable but there sure. a lot of the people he came up with have said that he was the kind of guy that like busted his ass and he was the kind of guy that would roll up to like high schools and sell tapes and you know did a lot of his own shit so you know but but how do you square that with the the shameless opportunism right it's hard to sure you can you can be both a hard-working shameless opportunist like that that is actually i feel one of the more common combinations of those things one thing i'll also say and this is i guess we'll throw this on the kid rock you're all right fact list is that Apparently, Steve O of Jackass fame has said that Kid Rock he can do more cocaine than anyone else on the planet that he has ever seen <laughs> and would apparently show up to parties with a backpack full of cocaine and just do it to a degree that even Steve O, a man who gets his balls hit with staple guns for money, was like, that's unsafe. You shouldn't do that. That's a lot of cocaine. So, oh, so he would have fit right in with Black Sabbath and Ozzy. I did see a quote from Eminem, who maybe we'll talk about him because he makes a cameo on this album, but they were sort of contemporaries in the Detroit scene that he talks about the one and only time that he's ever done cocaine was when he was recording this track for Kid Rock. And he was like, yeah, I saw what happened and I never touched that shit again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah what is it the description was that there were just playboy playmates passed out with coke all over their nose and like it was just a complete like bacchanal mess and i was like yeah i don't know if i want to do this which by the way also not like eminem was a teetotaling sober guy he had a drug problem oh, totally. he was just like i don't want that kind of drug problem hey, you know what? i'm actually going to correct myself here because i i said that ba with a ba was the fourth single off of this album it's actually the third single off of this album behind i am the bull god as the number two single and the number one single off of this album was actually that song welcome to the party parentheses ode to the old school are you kidding <laughs> that was the number one single it shows you he did not have confidence in his new sound he still thought that the old hey my name is kid rock and i'm here to say style of rapping was, was gonna save the well, day I know, listen i know that's not on the list but i wrote down laziest chorus i've ever heard question mark and and my observation there was when it first came on, I didn't realize what the, the title was. And I was like, well, this sounds like it's stuck in 1985, but kind of the whole record does. So it sort of works. But like the fact that he thinks he's throwing it back when his cadence still sounds like Curtis Blow for the entire record. Oh, he does not sound anywhere as good as Curtis Blow. <laughs> let's, let's just get that out of there. But yes, it is like he stopped paying attention to the evolution of lyrical hip hop 
1984. And basically, well, that's just where that's just what I think is great. And it, it it's kind of the equivalent of like somebody these days doing like a grunge album or something like that. I mean, like, I just want to sound like Pearl Jam. That's it. You know, anyway, we're going to jump on to what was actually the number four single and the biggest commercial hit off of this album. The song Cowboy. <laughs> Well, I'm packing up my game and I'ma head out west Where real women come equipped with scripts and fake press Find a nest in the hills, chill like Flint Buy an old drop top, find a spot to pimp Then I'm a kid, rock it up and down your block Go with a bottle of scotch and watch lots of crotch Buy a yacht with a flag saying chillin' the most Then rock that bitch up and down the coast Give a toast to the sun, drink with the stars Get thrown in the mix and tossed out of bar Zip the Tijuana, I wanna roam Find Motown, telling fools to come back home Start an escort service for all the right reasons And set up shop at the top of Four Seasons Kid Rockin', I'm the real McCoy And I'm headed out west, sucker Because I wanna be a cowboy, baby With a top left back and the sunshine shining Cowboy, baby Look, I, I'll give it a little bit of credit because at least when this came on, I was like, well, there's some tone differentiation in this material. So I was a little bit happy when it came on. I think it's one of the more palatable tunes. It's still terrible, to be clear. It's lowest common denominator songwriting. I've always used this. I've always held this up in my mind as I've pitched you guys this uh, this idea, light idea of writing a song that fits with every sports franchise around the world <laughs> yeah. under a series of shell bands and just trying st- the goal being to get it played in a stadium somewhere. I mean, Kid Rock successfully did that. So props to him for that, but it's pure opportunistic drivel to be clear. And what is with that doorstop sound that he uses way too often? What is that? Are going to go, go. What is that? I don't know. I, I think it's, it's meant to be the, what they call it, like the Jews harp or like the mouth harp. That yeah, little, yeah. Wow, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, Old West style. Sound. Yeah, it's yeah. in like a band song. I noticed, I know it from Western movies where they'll mm. always be like the guy sitting by the fire going like, wow, 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 you know. This, but no uh, one's playing it, right? It's just like used as a sound effect, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, there's no, I'm sure it was all just some random drop that he probably paid like $2 for. I still remember when this song came out. As a single, I think I was living in the dorms at UD at that point, which I'm obviously dating myself here. But I remember somebody down the hall was like, yo, you got to check this out. It's Kid Rock. And I was like, Kid Rock sucks. I don't want to listen to that. And he's like, no, no, no. Just listen to this one song. And when it got to the like ragtime piano break, <laughs> he like paused and he's like, how do you not like that at this point? And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is the best part of the song. Don't get me wrong. But like I would have taken the sound of a cat being spayed at that point in the song just for a break from what was going on in there. It is by the way, this is credited as being the birth of country rap. Good. So Good. also fuck you Kid Rock for <laughs> for spawning that I, in the universe. I kind of get it. I don't know. It's not that it's it's the best of the worst, I think. I do agree with that. I, I did have a note and, you know, I, I think it's fair to throw a bone, you know, here and there, but that if you, if you remove the vocals from this entirely, at least the, the verse backing track is not horrible. It's not like offensive and with the right treatment could actually be the backbone of an, of an okay song. 
Oh, you know what? Actually, my note on this is that this is a very well-produced song. It still sucks, but it is well-produced. It has a build where certain elements come in, and then they drop out, and they come back in. It's kind of at the end, and everything's all in. The backup vocals are really good. Uh, if he was just scatting over it, that would be a better song for me, but I can't. I just can't hear him say, I'm not straight out. I ain't straight out of Compton. I'm straight out the trailer. And be like, the house that you grew up in was literally three times the house that I grew up in. And I would never say I was from a trailer park, white trash bullshit. Like, you know, come on, man. Yeah. You're it's, upper middle class. At some point in this song, he says he's going to start an escort service for the right reasons. And I would yes. like to understand what the right reasons to start an escort service might be. Maybe it's so that it's sanctioned and that, you know, the, the <laughs> women are like viable. I have no idea. Potentially to save himself money, because at one point I believe he also says that he's going to call Heidi Fleiss, um, which is exactly what a player that all the ladies want does, is he calls a woman who has to pay tens of thousands of dollars to have her arrange sex with other women with him. Yeah, so maybe it was just an economic play. He's like, listen, all this, all this coke is, is uh, running through my finances pretty quickly, and I, I got to get there. I will also say this. He's a bad rapper, and... The fact that he has Eminem on a later song, who's a very good rapper, actually somewhat relates to this line that I'm going to, to quote here, where he says, Call me Hoss, I'm the boss with the sauce and the horse. <laughs> now, <laughs> a good rapper would have changed the inflection on horse to say like Hoss or something like that. There's a there's a very famous Eminem's given like it's like a 60 minute interview with Eminem where he starts rhyming things with orange and he's like yeah if you say orange then like nothing rhymes with orange but if you say orange and door hinge like they can rhyme together and he's like it's all about the way that you subtly change the inflection of the words that you can still tell it's that original word you change subtly change the inflection of both words and then all of a sudden they rhyme and people are like oh you're a genius it's like i just changed each one of them a little bit to make it rhyme because that's what somebody who actually gives a shit about their craft does and that's the thing that came through on all this i will not dispute you alan that kid rock is a hard worker but i don't think he gives a shit about the art i don't think he gives a shit about the craft yeah what it, what does he work hard at i think is the question i think he probably maybe that anecdote is about him working hard at promoting himself i find that easy sure yeah. and being oh, yeah. loud introducing himself to people and handing out mixtapes but he's not doing multiple takes in the studio this feels dashed off in a lot of ways in a songwriting way in a rapping way in a singing way in a production way in most cases. oh yeah i think he has worked hard to make himself famous for whatever that's worth do i think he has I think the Eminem comparisons do not do him a service whatsoever because even though people kind of consider them as like contemporaries came from the same place, same time, even having Eminem on this album for 45 seconds or a minute, whatever it is, draws such a contrast in the rapping skills that it's, it's tough to even take him seriously anywhere else. Absolutely. But I'm going to throw a counterpoint out there. You know, Kid Rock was named as the performer for the NHL All-Star Game in 2018. And there was kind of a big backlash against Kid Rock, the performer, being there because he has a history of being kind of a gigantic dick and especially being really, really homophobic. But he was defended by none other than Jeremy Roenick, who said, and I quote, Roenick. Kid Rock is the most talented musician, I think, ever on the planet. 
He did not. Once say again, that. proving that CTE is not just a problem for the <laughs> professional football. It also appears in hockey. I, that is a direct quote from Jeremy Roenick. Kid Rock <laughs> is, is, I think, the, is the most talented musician, I think, ever on the planet. I think that says a lot about how much cocaine Jeremy Roenick had done with Kid Rock <laughs> shortly before he gave that quote. <laughs> I actually met Jeremy Renick once on New Year's Eve in Philly, just randomly walking down the street. And I wish I had known that factoid because I would have definitely brought it up to him. I mean, was he just like fucking drooling over his untied shoes or something like that? He was pretty, <laughs> he was pretty hype. Even the, just to see like a random person that knew who he was. He, it seemed uh, a little over the top. So, so Phil's coat <laughs> comment. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, that tracks. Like where you're going. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my good lord! Any any other comment on again? I I cannot describe to you how. I guess somebody had to do it, but just the fact that this is what got rap country into the world. Like fuck you, Kid Rock. Rap country is the lowest common denominator of it's bad country and bad rap put together. It's rap for people who are afraid of black people. That's basically what it comes down to, and I I, I can't hate him enough for this. The only thing I'll add is if you've ever seen the video, I might need to watch it again. <laughs> I'm almost po- did anyone watch this video? I'm almost positive that Gary Coleman fights another short person in oh. this video. It is just random. Is it Josie? Oh, is that somebody associated with Kid Rock? That's very possible. <laughs> yeah, sadly it is. That's the kid rapping on the next song. Oh god. Good lord. Yeah, that would be the case. It's bad. Now all right, we're going to move on to the next song on our focus list here. And I, I guess I have to state that this is the version of I Am the Bull God that is the, uh, what is this, the fourth track on Devil Without a Cause, not the I Am the Bull God remix that appears later on this, or the other version of I Am the Bull God that he recorded and released on yet another yeah. EP beforehand. I like how this is like, yeah, the whole record is like a greatest hits album of him, right? (laughs) How? Like, okay. Listeners, we're going to play this song for a second and think in your head, this needed to be out in the world three separate times. Look, I, I mean, I've obviously heard the song before because I think this was one of his singles back in the day. And this was in my sphere as like a Y100 listener and all of those things. This was the second single off of this album. When I was re-listening to it this week, I put a note that around the three minute, 20 second point, I was like, this is actually, this is the right time to end the song. Because there's like a very natural sort of wind down and then it starts again as i was writing that though i was like no actually two seconds in would have been the perfect time to, <laughs> to end this song make it the silence between two tracks instead <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes oh god i had to listen to i wrote more. down 
Am I the only one that where the spelling section goes on too long for me and I lose what the hell he's even trying to spell? Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> P-O-D the... to the G-O-D? What is that? What is the P-O-D? What is that? It's pod, man. Can't you spell? <laughs> <laughs> this, this caused me to write down that maybe it was one of these experimental albums where he was given the constraint. You can record an hour-long record, Kid Rock, but we're only budgeted for you to sing a total of four notes throughout the sessions. <laughs> Oh, by the way, 71 minutes long. That's how yep. long this album is. Yep. The wall it really needed to be 71 minutes long. The wall's 81 minutes long. So, <laughs> well, you know, tomato, tomato, Phil. Good touch. <laughs> yeah, sure. I like how that there's that bitchin' guitar solo at the very beginning. What it sounds like if you just gave me a guitar and were like, hey, you don't actually, I mean, you know what a guitar is, but you don't know really how to play the guitar. Certainly not to solo, but I want you to do a solo on an album. That would be what I would come with on maybe take three. It, that's got to be Kid Rock on guitar because he's credited as having a guitar credit uh, on, I think, this particular song. Are we talking about uh, Cowboy, Bull God? Where are we at? We're talking about, we're talking about Bull God. <laughs> there's like glad, right at the good. beginning of the song, there's like Such a. It's just, it's like two bends and a couple of hammer ons. It's totally shit. Totally shit. But it's, it's right at the beginning of the song. It's just. Yeah, again, how did. How did anybody listen to that and be like, you know, we got guys here that like play the guitar. We can just get one of them to do it if you want. Nah, Probably get something good. Nah. I had this down as this is the epitome of the way that new metal evolved to become all bravado and no substance. Just stupidly simple riffs, ridiculously trite lyrics, and, you know, just like guys being like, I got a big old dick. You're like, yeah, great. <laughs> Fuck you. It's really like it's like every song is the same and the riff behind it is different. But he like is literally just rapping the same. It's like he's it's like he's like reading a limerick or something. Well, it's all like the same. You know? I feel like I didn't do any kind of like BPM test or metronome, but it almost seems like they're all the same. Like it's not just the same as in it's it's hackneyed, you know, rap rock. It's the same in that. It all it's like literally the same like there were times where i was like i don't even know what song i'm listening to anymore because <laughs> yes. his his cadence his delivery the bpm yeah. of the song bpm it's just it sounds identical there's literally no difference i think very much he was just like i have this one shitty rap flow and i'm just gonna try a bunch of different types of music underneath it to see if one of these is gonna hit and i mean god damn if it didn't hit I, I hate it for that, but this sold a lot and became obscenely popular. And I'm going to throw in a Kid Rock, you're all right fact, you know, I guess number three here, is that he became this icon for this working class type of individual. And he actually, he did a couple of cool things around that. He, he's done a lot of USO shows very popular with you know young army recruits and so good on him that's cool i don't you necessarily... actually felt guilty about how much you disliked this and you had to go looking for decent things to say about kid rock a little bit i wanted it to this. be a little bit so here's one of the other things that i actually found to be pretty fucking cool this is after he was already very rich and already very famous this is 2013 he did a tour i think it was called the best night ever tour where all of the tickets were no more than $20 and all of the beers were no more than $3 at his shows. 
and objectively, that's cool. Like that's objective. I mean, these cool these aren't like uh, dry hopped IPAs or anything. Three bucks, you know. It, you know, this is shreds here. It doesn't <laughs> matter though. You know, like you're talking. We're, you go to a concert. It's twelve dollar Miller Lights. You know, like the fact that it's twenty dollar tickets and three dollar beers. That's cool. I will give him that. That is cool. I am also going to throw in another Kid Rocco fuck yourself act, which is that he actually uh, has a cameo on the Insane Clown Posse's first album, Carnival oh of God. Carnage. And apparently oh the story goes that not only did he find out that another local rapper that he thought that he was better than got a $500 appearance fee, so he demanded a $600 appearance fee because he had to make more than this other guy, but he showed up so fucked up he couldn't record his verse and had to come back later to record it again because he was just so fucked up and as much as i hate insane clown posse i i, I hate their music i don't necessarily hate them as a band but i believe it was violent J was like i fucking hate kid rock this guy sucks but <laughs> it's gonna be good for our album to get him on there so like i'll bite my tongue and i'll let him on my album because he's a fucking huge famous guy but fuck him he's a piece of Cast- shit <laughs> Casting ICP as consummate professionals. <laughs> is, is Kid Rock that bad at, that we can guys, actually look at them at. with some sort this of like Kid Rock empathy? Is reduced us to. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Let's say like the three dollar beer thing. You probably you probably figured out scientifically that if you have seven more beers, you can enjoy his music quite. A bit yeah, because Kid so. Rock applies science that, to things. What, I, that's I think you're onto something with that. I think that's. I don't know, man. It definitely took some science to mash up Werewolves of London. Uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama. I swear that's the Smells Like Teen Spirit drum riff. <laughs> Fun with stems. Oh, Jesus Christ. Let's let's move on to what I think, uh, Alan, you had stated was the thesis for this entire album and probably our entire <laughs> week's endeavor. The song, Wasting Time. and the song is fuck off brilliant titles just super <laughs> just accurate like it's about summed it up yeah i picked those specifically for that reason i was like this sums up my entire thoughts on this on this album Here, the only thing i'll say about the song wasting time and i saw somewhere that this was sort of repurposed from a fleetwood mac song i didn't i tried to listen to them both i still didn't quite pick it up but secondhand news man yeah, but even when I, I I know the song, but I I wasn't I wasn't catching the wholesale like grift. Like maybe there was some uh, sampleage or something, but 
Well, now that Tom said it, yeah, it's secondhand news. Most interesting part of the song. It's like the first song on Rumors, or like the first song on the second side of Rumors. It's the first track on Rumors, yeah. The thing, so it's it's actually not a horrendous like backing track. The thing when he opens a song with "I am a pimp." What 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 the what what are you doing? Like it's not. I, I don't even I don't know what else to say. I I am a pimp are, is the first four words of the song. This felt like one of the more egregious ones, where it was just like take everything our target demo might like and throw it in a blender, without a lot of effort, and just paste it up yeah. on the wall and see what happens. I have one note on this on this song, and it is this is summer barbecue music for idiots, and I feel like that is. I mean, I can just picture a bunch of just the dumbest motherfuckers in the world Ugh. listening to this over a summer barbecue and being like, yeah, like, yeah right. smoking, drinking, just yeah. wasted time, yeah. I hate I'm this so much. Myself to talking about this fucking music, man. <laughs> like he tired. talks about Winston cigarettes like four times in this. Song. Yeah, that's his big line leaning up, leading up into the chorus is like smoking a Winston and drinking a four O, and you're like, okay, like why? Why are you pretending that you're poor? Stop it! You're not poor. Oh God, I don't know. Winston's are probably ten dollars a pack at this point, so. Yeah, it's, not 1998. Fair, fair. Uh, so this is this is part of the poverty cosplay that he's been doing this entire album, right? Is that this whole I'm a redneck thing? So, Kid Rock, fuck off, fact. He played in front of a Confederate flag between 2000 and 2006. A man from Michigan, who has no connection to the Confederacy whatsoever, played in front of a Confederate flag. So either. That was a sop to the morons that liked him because he's like, I'm a Southern rock. Yeah. Or he's racist. And I don't know which one is worse. Nothing would surprise me about Kid Rock. This, everything about him was terrible. Well, to Rob's point earlier, and maybe this was before we, we started, but Rob made the point of it, it's just it's what you do. Like, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It doesn't matter if it's a shtick. If you fucking drape your he actually wears the Confederate flag, too, as some kind of like robe. I don't know if he still does it. If you do that shit, you're a, you're a shithead. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're doing it for monetary purposes or to look cool or whatever. If you wear a Confederate flag around your body, you're a fucking asshole. He can't even say heritage. He can't even be like, oh, this is like, well, you know, like it's from my people. It's, you were born in Michigan. It almost does not get more northern yeah, you're than touching Canada. <laughs> you're touching Canada. <laughs> oh, what an asshole. Which, I mean, I've brought this up before. He's closer to Canada. So much good work comes out of Canada. This really should be better, right? Like, there's there's real talent right there. Well, even Motown you know? was in Detroit. I mean, come on. This is a it's yeah. a hotbed of music here. Masagua. But not this. This is not music. Uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't go so far as to say that this is like a well constructed song. This is this is one of those songs that was written in a lap. It's like like you said, it's like Call Me Maybe. Except much worse. It's much worse. <laughs> much worse. But it's more like but it's yeah, it's <laughs> that takes the heat off people at a TGI Fridays on a Saturday, you know, like <laughs> No, that's a good song. I we I think we all agreed on that one now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just he's such a terrible rapper. He's really, really bad. I can't get over how bad of a rapper he is. Here, and if I listen to your rap album and I am a better rapper than you, you are a shitty rapper. Because I am not a good rapper, but I would be, 
I am confident that I'm a better rapper than he's, Kid Rock is. He's Kid Rock and he's a Capricorn, man. Like, these are the things you're going to learn about him. It's, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's move on. Let's, yeah. The final track. Fuck off. So many hoes, I'm in the hall of fame. And I show no shame. From coast to coast, I don't mean to brag. But I like to boast. Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Yeah, like your motherfucking ass. Bitch, with that Detroit City shit. Ain't shit, Swiss. We on the same script. Nothing new since 76. Get by, yo, Slim Shady. Come break these motherfuckers off. Yo, tell the world to hold their breath. They breathe in the wrong air. This planet belongs to me and this hippie with long hair. Two white boys, two spike points, a light noise. Hang around drugs, loud music, and light noise. Slim Shady and Brown. Yeah, all right. Somebody talked about this one. <laughs> okay, look, at, at least this sort of sounds like a rock song. The Eminem verse is, I hesitate to say a breath of fresh air, but it did throw into sharp relief how terrible the rapping had been up to that point. <laughs> yeah, it's not Eminem's best work, but it's, it's the work of a professional rapper who is, you know, at the top of his craft. It's, it sounded more like, well, we already mentioned License to Ill, but like a lot of the album, I think this in particular, it sounded like a watered-down rehash of License to Ill, which came 12 years before it. So that material is ultimately better and more rocking. But in the context of this record, it felt pretty all right. I actually had a note that this sounded like a long, bad version of the song Gratitude by the Beastie Boys. Which obviously came out a few years after, but it's, you know, it sounds like it's sung through a megaphone or something. There, there's, it just it sounded like a really bad version. You know, I I actually heard Short Shot on the radio today, and uh, it's much better than this song. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty obvious. I just I can't believe we've given as much of our life to kids. Yeah, Rock, to I'm, I'm gonna be happy when this is over. Uh, well, listen, <laughs> I, I want to. We're very close. <laughs> I want to talk about something that I find to be particularly egregious with Kid Rock. And it is epitomized by, I think, my least favorite line on this album and maybe my least favorite line on any album that we have touched on so far. <laughs> my least favorite is, line on any album. <laughs> I, it's The line is, I'm not Peter Pan, I don't fuck with fairies, but I bust more rhymes than virgin cherries. That's the most tasteless line I've ever heard. And honestly, Kid Rock, go fuck yourself. What the hell is wrong with you? This is a man who, and again, dear listener, I am saying this to illustrate a point, has gotten in trouble for using the word faggot on stage multiple times as recently as 2021. He's saying this like this is an acceptable thing to say out there. And then he does the same bullshit of like, oh, what are you offended, Snowflake? Oh, yeah, I'm just an American badass. Yeah, oh, well, I'm not your cancel culture. Honestly, I hope you get dick cancer. You He's human garbage, clearly. <laughs> and his rise in the 90s presaged everything that is, you know, putting a complete moron asshole in the White House, too, obviously, right? And I wish we could turn back time and I'll just all kill ourselves. <laughs> but we can't. Well, I would have to kill yeah, ourselves. There's only, I mean... We can we can uh, do some fraction reduction here. Just... I also would like to point out that Kid Rock now starts his shows. His live shows start with a message from Donald Trump to the crowd about how great 
Kid Rock is and how happy they should be that that I think he calls him Rob. On the it's like Rob is such Rob is such a great musician, such a uh, God. tremendous ah, tremendous ah. musician is is how Tremend- oh, I'm sure. tremendous yeah. Quite possibly the best musician ever, I think, on planet Earth. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. This music made me dumber. You know, they talk about classical music making babies smarter. (laughs) This has to have at least the same effect as a 24-pack of Keystone Light or similar. Oh, you're not going to you're not going to the thirty pack of Strohs, which he actually name drops at one point. It's a thirty pack of Strohs. This oh, did God. like sort of drain my energy, and and honestly, I, and I listened to that other record too, which was a totally different type of like early '90s like pop trash hip hop. God, it's been draining, and it's like he has this delivery that's so lethargic, but like not in a cool way, you know? Like yeah, not Q-tip style, laid back no. way. It's, it's like not like behind the beat. He's just like, yeah. Uh, He's just off time and angry. But thankfully, we do get two full minutes of voicemails at the end of this song, because that's what I needed, is two minutes of <laughs> Kid Rock's voicemails. Fucking asshole. Although uh, hearing his mom yelling at him is, is somewhat cathartic. Yeah, if it wasn't an actress. <laughs> sure is. The one thing that I will say is uh, somewhat cathartic. If you've looked at any pictures of modern-day Kid Rock... Um, I saw him described on the internet, and I think that this is absolutely perfect. Is that uh, Kid Rock nowadays look like looks like Doctor Phil dressed up as Kid Rock for Halloween? <laughs> uh, just just do yourself a favor and look up a, a like a modern picture of Kid Rock. It he does look like Doctor Phil dressed up as as Kid Rock. That reminds me of one of my favorite Onion headlines, which is. Kenny Chesney, a poor man's Kenny Chesney. It makes me think like Kid Rock might be a poor man's Kid Rock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a secretly wealthy but pretending to be poor man's Kid Rock. Oh, God. We're going to touch on just some <clears throat> absolute terribleness of Kid Rock that is modern-day Kid Rock. Have you guys listened to his recent song? I think it's called We the People, which is basically... The chorus is literally just like "Let's go, Brandon," and he's basically Tell saying me, like, "I haven't listened to this song, but I'll hate listen to it right now for the first hate time." Listen to it. It is so in line with his fall into the Republican orthodoxy that the pandemic is fake and fuck Fauci and all you snowflakes and sheep out there wearing there's good, masks. There's cool drum, good drums. They're like the, there's a nice like he's in a real studio with a, a real drummer. I mean, I would hope so. He's worth like $60 million or something like that if you can't get a good band. How much money do you need? When is it, When do you just wake up and you're like, okay, I'm good. I, I can drop the fucking charade here. Yeah. Well, Ooh, he just said fuck Fauci. Yeah, he says fuck Fauci in there. Of course. Of course. You know, he had his uh, restaurant in Nashville famously, like, had his liquor license temporarily suspended because he refused to shut down during the pandemic and would hold very large get-togethers of unmasked people because, of course, he did because he's a fucking terrible person. All right, so that is our thoughts on Kid Rock's Devil Without a Cause. The only thing left, dear listeners, I know you are as excited as I am, to hear what our final views are and whether or not this makes the list. I think we might get one or two uh, surprise um, 
One or two surprise yeses, but I am going to throw it over first to Alan. Alan, what is your final vote? Well, whatever surprise yeses you're looking for are not going to come from this corner of of the world. I don't have much to say more than what I said earlier. You do not need to listen to this album. If you've even listened to us this far, you probably already don't like Kid Rock, and so I think you're safe. So uh, it's going to be a, a rather hard no on my part. <laughs> All right, Phil, what are your thoughts? Do not listen to this record. <laughs> do not listen to Kid Rock's Devil Without a Cause or Grid Sandwich for Breakfast. This is very bad. I should, I should have a Surgeon General's warning on the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, yeah, it's a no for me, but I was going to go a step farther and say you should really go out of your way to avoid this record. Please. Please do yourself that favor. It was... I wanted to relate it to our Amy Winehouse podcast, where I think I ultimately ruled no because I said it was a product. But in comparison, it was a slick product with an eye towards craft, imagination, talented musicians at every turn. This is a product also, but it is bereft of all those other good points. It's I described it as potato salad at a deli counter. It's a product in that way, and that it was slapped together by <laughs> drug-addled nincompoops to serve people who aren't discerning at all about what goes in their bodies. And by the time the week's old mayonnaise infects your system, you're already pot committed, and have turned <laughs> it into your identity somehow. So please avoid this at all costs. Please. Well, I guess we're going to go four for four on this one. I am also a hard no. Apparently 14 million morons can be wrong. You should not listen to this album. This was terrible, and it wasn't even terrible enough to be interesting. There are some albums that are terrible and interesting. This is terrible and uninteresting. It is terrible because it is uninteresting and also because it is terrible and not well-constructed and the entire thing sucks. And I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sorry that we subjected you to this. But here's to hoping that next week is going to be slightly better in terms of your listening experience. Everybody ready for their homework assignment? Oh, my God, yes. I've got the Albinator here. Yes, seriously, ready to move on. But again... This is one of those ones I just couldn't listen to with my family. I was like, I can't. I can't subject you to this. I have to listen to this by myself in headphones. And for some reason, the fact that it was directly in my ear holes made it even more offensive and worse. But let's find out what we're going to listen to next week. Without any further ado, drum roll, please. We will be listening to... Grit Sandwiches for Breakfast. Grit Sandwiches? No. (laughs) It is Let Love Rule by Lenny Kravitz. That sounds way more promising. Sure. Take it. I think I think I'm gonna guess it's the same era, right? Probably around yeah, yeah it's probably like ninety seven, maybe. Yeah. I I'd have guessed a little earlier, but it doesn't matter. Oh, let love rule is eighty nine. Whoa. Well, I would I would have guessed like ninety four or ninety six. So I do find that a little surprising. Yeah, I was way off. Yeah. Is that the one that has it ain't over till it's over on it? It does not. I'm actually looking at... Because that, to me, feels like the most like late 80s. Yeah. Oh, apparently Lisa Bonet wrote some lyrics on this album. This has Let Love Rule, I Built This Garden for Us, Mr. Cab Driver, My Precious Love. I don't recognize any of these songs, but I'm still way more excited than Kid Rock. Oh, of course. So, did you like what we had to say? Are you a, are you a Kid Rock stan that is going to write us some... some I'm sure profanity-laced uh, invective over the internet. You can do that 
at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com, 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Let us know how we did. Let us know how your week went. Always love to hear from our, I'm going to say fans, but uh, I guess maybe we'll just say listeners. If you like what we're doing, give us a rating, tell a friend. We always want to get the word out that uh, there are some albums out there that really suck, and we have some complaints about them. There's some albums out there that are really great, and we also have complaints about them. Uh, we're, we're an equal opportunity bitching uh, enterprise here. But until next week, I have been Tom. I'm Alan. I am Phil. And I'm Rob. Devil without a boosh. Devil without a boosh.